the Slaughter and May podcast. Welcome to the second instalment in the Slaughter and May podcast series, in which we're going to be discussing the investigations and enforcement outlook for financial services in 2021. In this instalment, we'll be focusing mainly on the UK market. I'm Jan Putnis, a partner in our financial regulation group, and I'm joined by two colleagues. Thanks, Jan. I'm Ella Williams, Senior Counsel in the Disputes and Investigations Group. Hello, I'm Ewan Brown, a partner in the Disputes and Investigations Group and also co-head of our Global Investigations Practice. Thanks, Ewan and Ella. So we've seen increased FCA activity in certain areas of enforcement in the last year. Um, It's been quite an interesting one for financial services firms for a whole range of fairly obvious reasons coming out of the COVID crisis. Do you agree with that, though, uh, Ewan? Do you think that there has indeed been increased activity? That's been my perception. But have you looked at the figures and do you think that's right? Yes, the, the, the work of the FCA, I mean, inevitably, they had a bit of a downturn in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic last spring. Um, but they have certainly, I think, got back into their stride. They're continuing to open investigations and bring others to a close. There was a bit of a flurry of final notices towards the end of last year. And I think we can take quite a lot from them in terms of where they are likely to be heading over the next 12 months or so. I think two particular themes um, I'd just like to touch on. Uh, first of all, um, market abuse. Uh, they have been talking about pursuing market abuse cases for some time. Um, there hadn't, in fact, been any final notices uh, since 2017, and then there were a couple last year, uh, one of which was a, a spoofing case, which is an area where the FC has been quite active. They've got new software uh, to pick up um, alleged spoofing, and it's an area where we've seen activity, obviously, in the US with the CFTC taking cases as well. So um, uh, I think particularly with turbulence in the markets, um, during the pandemic and and no doubt in the future, uh, we should expect to see continued focus by them on market abuse cases. The other area which um, the final notices towards the end of last year picked up on, and I think again will be a continuing theme of enforcement activity, um, is uh, treating customers fairly and, and in particular treating customers who are in financial difficulties fairly how, how are financial services firms dealing with mortgage arrears, uh, loan repayments? There's obviously going to be a balance to be struck between ensuring that banks can collect loans that have been made during the pandemic, um, whilst at the same time uh, treating consumers who are, uh, many of whom will be in, in some difficulty as a result of the pandemic fairly. Uh, and again, I think that's, that, that's an area which is likely to, to lead in some cases to, to enforcement activity. And Ella, very much a focus there on new tools, as well as on new areas of enforcement activity. Is that your experience as well over the last year? Oh, yes. I mean, the FCA looks for opportunities to use new tools and for, and for new, new things to add to their toolkit. Uh, last year, uh, we saw the well-publicised court action brought by the FCA against various insurers. Uh, that was in relation to the terms of insurance policies for business interruption. Um, and the case was about whether those policies should pay out in relation to losses caused by business interruption and closure as a result of the pandemic and the government action that we've seen in, in response to the pandemic. This was clearly an unprecedented situation. Um, and the FCA dealt with it in a novel way. 
bringing a test case in the English High Court under a little used procedure called the Financial Markets Test Case Scheme. But the approach worked well for the FCA. Uh, they achieved an outcome that was favourable to many policyholders and it brought much clarity to the issues. Um, so despite the fact that it was an unprecedented situation, um, they, they do now have a new proven tool in their armoury um, and in the right circumstances it's no doubt one they would be willing to use again. So Ella, so we've seen some increase in activity in civil enforcement and use of new tools by the FCA in the last year or so. Uh, what about criminal investigations though? Because my perception is that there's been a, a drop in those. Do you know why that is? And first of all, do you think that is the case? You're right, there was a drop in criminal investigations undertaken by the FCA in 2020. A Freedom of Information Act request last year showed that they closed half of their open criminal investigations last year. But the FCA have also indicated a greater willingness to open criminal investigations. Um, in particular, they've adopted a practice of starting dual track investigations in some cases for a couple of years now. Um, and this is where they start the investigation, looking at it from both a civil enforcement angle and a criminal angle, right from the start, before they've looked at any of the facts, rather than taking an alternative approach, which would be to start the investigation as a civil enforcement matter and only think about starting a criminal investigation once they're some way into the investigation and have a fuller picture of the facts. So it may be that the relatively high number of criminal investigations that are being dropped is simply a result of the fact that more criminal investigations are being opened in the first place. Um, and I know we haven't seen any criminal prosecutions being brought by the FCA under the 2017 money laundering regulations yet, uh, but I don't see that as indicative of any lack of appetite to bring criminal prosecutions where that's warranted. The criminal standard that they would have to prove in those prosecutions is high, and I think that may explain why we haven't seen any so far. We have, of course, seen the FCA bring other types of criminal prosecutions. We saw the FCA's first criminal prosecution for unlawful destruction of documents culminate last year. Konstantin Vishniak was tried for the deletion of his WhatsApp app from his phone while he was under investigation and was acquitted in that prosecution. And just earlier in February of this year, the FCA announced that they've commenced criminal prosecutions against two individuals for insider dealing. So it's clear that the FCA don't shy away from using their powers to prosecute where they consider that's the appropriate course of action. Looking at uh criminal proceedings uh, being brought by the FCA for AML failures, I think there may be a practical issue here, which is simply that trying to pursue dual track investigations does bring its own challenges for them in terms of conducting the criminal aspect of the investigation in such a way that it that it meets the stricter requirements for evidence gathering uh, in criminal investigations, whilst at the same time trying to drive forward the civil aspect, the, the, the regulatory aspect, both by enforcement but also maintaining the supervisory dialogue about enhancements to AML controls, which the FCA by definition has uh, concerns about, maintaining that supervisory contact when there is uh, an ongoing criminal investigation does bring its challenges. For example, can the FCA ask questions uh, about past failures 
using its supervisory powers if answers to those questions um, need to be admitted or um, may wish to be admitted um, as evidence in the criminal proceedings. Ewan, I mean, we talked about um, consumer harm earlier and you mentioned vulnerable customers and the, the mission that the FCA has to um, prevent or mitigate consumer harm. Um, and certainly from my perspective, advising mainly in the non-contentious area of our practice, that is a, a really important theme. Um, and in fact, I would, I would even begin to say that the non-contentious is merging with the contentious work. There is a huge area of FCA activity which is not formal enforcement proceedings, but does represent various forms of intervention in the business models of uh, regulated firms. Uh, and there's a wide range of different things, certainly, that I'm seeing. I'm seeing a, a lot more activity imposing requirements on firms' permissions. So the FCA um, trying to force firms to do or not to do certain things where they think the alternative would be an increased risk of consumer harm. Um, I think an increase, certainly in my perception, in the use of 166 powers and other investigatory powers, information requests, in particular 165 requests, I've seen a big increase in. Um, all of these things, sort of investigatory powers falling short of formal enforcement action. Um, and at a much lower level, a lot more criticism of uh, firms whose business models FCA's, the FCA does not like. So we see the FCA being much more vociferous about what they don't like about a firm's business model where they think it exposes customers to potential harm. Um, and some themes that come through there across a range of sectors from consumer lending to insurance to certain banking products include the question of whether customers understand what they're buying, um, the suitability of the product for customers, uh, you know, what happens to vulnerable customers uh, or customers who become vulnerable after they've bought a product, not perhaps having been vulnerable when they first entered into the product, uh, the risk of failure of the firms and the, the FCA's quite a lot of work on the resilience of the firms and its supervisors in the past year. Um, it sent financial resilience surveys to 23,000 solo regulated firms last year and identified approximately 4,000 of those firms that the FCA considered had, quote, low resilience or heightened risk of failure because of the pandemic. Uh, so uppermost in the FCA's mind there is what would happen to customers. Would they be disadvantaged or suffer harm as and when those firms fail, if that's what happens to them? Having said all that, the FCA is not what we would call a zero failure regulator. It's not there to guarantee that firms don't fail. But its general approach seems to be, seems to be that it wants to ensure that when firms do fail, they do so in a sustainable way that minimises harm to customers. That's the, uh, the mission. But I think in carrying out that mission, turn to you in a moment and get your views, you and Anella, but there's a risk that the FCA ends up lumping firms together and assuming that problems it's seen in some firms are also present in others because they happen to have a similar business model. So it's very important now for firms to be able to explain their business model to the regulator and also to explain how it does not uh, give rise to consumer harm or if there is a risk of consumer harm, what the firm is doing to mitigate that. And to do that based on the firm's own experience and its own arrangements to avoid a situation where there may be an unfavourable comparison between that firm and perhaps another firm where real consumer harm has happened. 
any views, Ewan or Ella, on whether that's consistent with your your experience in the last year? Yes, it is. I mean, obviously, working primarily in enforcement matters, we tend to see quite a significant lag between the types of themes that are emerging on the non-contentious and supervisory relationships uh, with the FCA uh, and, and, and time elapsing before that works its way through to enforcement action. But there's no doubt that you know once the FCA has identified a particular area or product or business type as being high risk, you know, if, if one firm in that sector or with that model turned to enforcement, the risk of others in that area also being tipped into enforcement um, is, is reasonably high at, because we know their thresholds for starting an enforcement action are relatively low. And we know we've seen the very large numbers that have been started, um, uh, many of which have not gone all the way through to a final notice, um, but in the meantime have caused the firms being investigated um, you know, considerable distress and, and put them to significant work and effort. In terms of experiences over the last year, then obviously the, the test case, the insurance test case, which Ella mentioned earlier, is an example, I think, of uh, the FCA intervening in a particular sector, perhaps not liking the way that certain uh, insurers were dealing with claimants, where um, you know, the, the businesses involved were often relatively small and, and the FCA saw it as its task to, uh, to expedite payments um, to those businesses. They didn't use enforcement tools. They could have done so. Had they done so, you know, some of those issues would have taken much, much longer to resolve. They instead um, went for a rather inventive process of, of, of taking a number of insurers uh, through litigation, but achieved their outcome reasonably successfully and reasonably or very quickly um, in the context of an ongoing pandemic. So, so again, I think that's just another example of non-enforcement activity um, but which it, it, is on any definition contentious. Another feature I've seen of the FCA's supervisory activity in the past year to 18 months is greater attention to complaints data. Um, this is something the FCA has always looked at but where it's seen trends begin to emerge in the complaints data of firms, particularly firms with similar business models. That, in my experience, has been the trigger for further supervisory or even enforcement action. Uh, and I've seen supervision teams at the FCA look at that data uh, seemingly in more detail than before to see whether there are trends emerging. That's certainly something we see retrospectively in enforcement actions. Um, if there's any investigation relating to consumer uh, products, um, one of the first information requests that the firm could expect to receive in enforcement action will be for details of the um, uh, complaints received, but also, um, and perhaps the, equally importantly, the management information that's been escalated within the organisation on those complaints data, uh, because the, the enforcement team will be looking to see uh, what those trends were showing um, and what management was doing uh, to pick up on them and take preventative action. To what extent do we think this is a, a regulator under pressure after some recent events concerning the criticism it's, of its failure in the LCF case um, and other situations where it's been criticised for not acting quickly enough to stop consumer harm developing? Are we looking at a regulator which is now going to be much more responsive to direct complaints it may receive about uh, the way that particular firms are operating? I think in the current political environment, 
particularly with unemployment increasing and so forth, that if the media picks up on stories of customer detriment, I think the um, or banks or, or other firms in the financial services sector not treating customers fairly, uh, particularly in things like uh, in areas such as uh, debt arrears, then I think the political pressure on the FCA to act and act swiftly, as it did do in, in, in the business interruption case, you know, will be, will be strong. There's a fairly clear direction of travel, I think, politically, that politicians are going to expect the FCA to react. And as, and as you said earlier, Jan, to use their full suite of powers, not just their enforcement powers, to bring about particular results. And we've seen the FCA taking steps to make its position understood in relation to you know, what they expect from firms in this remote virtual world we've, we've been living in. Um, in June last year, we heard from Megan Butler, she said that financial pressures could give rise to harm to customers if firms cut corners on governance or on their systems and controls in this virtual world. It's no doubt that firms have seen real challenges in ensuring appropriate oversight from a compliance point of view during the last year with our remote working practices. Um, but the FCA clearly felt that it needed to make clear to firms that they need to meet those challenges. And I think some of the, some of the structural changes within the FCA as well have been aimed at that. Um, they, are, they are clearly setting themselves up to become a consumer champion. Uh, the, the, you know, the merger of the two supervision divisions at the end of last year and the creation of the Consumer and Competition Division headed up by um, Sheldon Mills, who used to be at the CMA, I think again demonstrates that this is an area where the FCA knows that it has to do well. And there's also going to be a, a powerful new Director of Markets to sit alongside Sheldon Mills to also look at, at market related market um, issues. Just thinking about the changes to the way we've all been working in the last year, Ella, have you seen a change in the attitude of the FCA in terms of the standards it expects of control functions within regulated firms, um, really to keep tabs on what staff are doing when working from home? Thinking in particular about market conduct, market abuse, uh, and of course, control and protection of uh, confidential information. Any developments there that you'd like to mention? No one should be thinking that the FCA's expectations for firms have been in some way fundamentally altered or that the FCA is going to go easy on firms in light of the compliance challenges created by mandatory home working. Julia Hoggart, who is the Director of Market Oversight at the FCA, made that very clear in October last year when she said that the FCA's expectation was that office and home working arrangements should be equivalent. As an example of, of that, in January this year, the FCA issued guidance which said that given how long mandatory home working has been in place for, the FCA expects phone calls and all other relevant communications to be recorded when staff are working outside the office. I think it's clear that the FCA expects firms to step up and meet the compliance challenges that home working creates and continue to take effective steps to prevent misconduct and to protect customers. So what are the international agenda um, moving outside the UK? A new presidency in the US. What are we expecting there in terms of intensity of US enforcement action, given the effect that often has on our own jurisdiction? Well, anecdotally, the, the sense I'm picking up is that um, there is expected to be a significant uptick in investigations work in the US. Um, there were, I mean, whilst clearly 
uh, enforcement work did not grind to a halt under Trump and quite, quite the reverse. So there were a number of significant resolutions uh, during, during that presidency. Um, there was nevertheless a, a fewer cases around, fewer matters around than there had been uh, in the previous um, eight years. I, I think to an extent that, that, that probably also reflects the, the moment in the economic cycle that we, that, that we were going through during those four years and that, and that also has changed. So I think everything in the US is pointing to probably to increased regulatory activity and enforcement activity. And, and as you say, Jan, history would suggest that when the DOJ and SEC are active, a lot of that spills over to Europe. And so I think we, we may well expect to see enforcement activity over here driven off um, things that are picked up and, and initiated in the US. Well, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you very much to you and, uh, and to Ella for joining me in this discussion. For more information on this topic, or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.